Hi, you're listening to The Reluctant Agilist on projectmanagement.com. My name is Dave Pryor, and you are about to listen to a podcast with a friend of mine, Celeste Giampietro, who is the VP of Marketing from PebblePost. So a few weeks ago, Celeste put up a post on Medium that focused on how important it was for people in marketing to move out of kind of that specialized focus of, I am just, for example, the Google AdWords guy, and to move into more of a generalist role because there were needs um, for people who are a little more cross-functional in the space. So because of the parallels between what Celeste was advocating for and what we'd strive for in an Agile team, and because I know that some of the people at Pebble Post on the development side are trying to implement Agile, um, I asked Celeste if she'd be willing to do an interview about the topic. So during the interview, we're going to talk about the company mission statement, how it relates to the work that the company does, and how all of the staff was involved in creating it. I think that's a really important uh, parallel, again, to what we want in an Agile team with something like vision statement, because the more engagement you can have from the people who are going to be working on the product, the more invested they're going to be in the work that they do to support that vision or that mission. We're also going to talk about how cross-functionality has become a cultural norm at Pebble Post and how Celeste works with team members to support that and to help them kind of rise up to this challenge of this way of working and define and meet their own goals as they move forward in their careers at the company. So even though we're focusing on marketing, there's a lot of parallels to what we'd expect on the Agile side of the house. And I hope that this will give you some ideas for things you might want to try out with your teams. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Dave Pryor for projectmanagement.com, back with another podcast. And this one's going to be in a slightly different direction. Uh, So today we're going to talk a little bit about marketing and the idea of generalists and people who have a specific skill kind of trying to broaden that skill set. And we're going to tie it back to some project management and agile stuff as well. And Celeste Giampietro from PebblePost has joined me. Celeste, thanks for being here. Thank you. And you're the vice president of marketing. I am. <laughs> the work that you're doing at Pebble Post, can you kind of give a quick explanation of Pebble Post and what, what the focus of the company is and then kind of your role within that? Sure. So we just released our mission statement. So the mission statement is to create commerce that empowers marketers to change their digital ways for tangible good. Um, we make it easy and desirable for consumers to engage with advertising at home and act on it. So that's okay. Cool. Um, so, so you said you just, before you explain, you just came up with this. Can you, you guys are, you're a startup. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Developing the mission statement is a big part of the work that you're doing right now in terms of forming the company. Yes. So it's, I mean, that was my primary focus when I joined a year ago. It was sort of my first order of business to um, get steeped in the company, understand the product inside and out, and then really figure out, we were really good at explaining what we do and how we do it. But okay. when it came to explaining you know, why we exist, um, what value we bring to the world, um, we had it in sort of different places, but it was really important to me to crystallize that because people don't buy um, what you do, they buy why you do it. Okay. And do you think that this helps the people that are working, like developing the actual product? Because this is, this is something that comes up in a lot of the classes I teach is like, what's the point of a, a mission statement or a vision statement? Like who's actually going to look at it? But obviously it's, a, you think it's an important thing. I think it's the, the crux of why you develop a company, right? It's like, you're trying to solve a problem for some audience. So you need to be really well versed in what that problem is and make sure that your product actually solves it. So to me, it's critical. Okay. So what's the problem that you guys are solving? 
So we are solving problems for the marketer and for the consumer. So I'll start with the consumer side because that's usually easier to digest. So okay. let's say, um, do you buy any clothes online? Yes. Where? Uh, usually Amazon. Give me another. <laughs> give me uh, another not Amazon. Thing. Okay. Oh, I don't know. Um, ex officio. Okay. Oh, great. So let's say you go on ex officio as, and you've never purchased from them before. Okay. And you browse a couple pages and then you know, maybe you put something in your cart and you leave the site. So yep. I can almost 100% guarantee that you then see their ads ev on every site. Everywhere, visit, yes. Right, right, and even on your mobile phone sometimes. And the reason that, for that is that it's very cheap to buy that kind of advertising. Okay. But the experience for the consumer is irritating. Yes, exactly. It's <laughs> irritating, right? Because you're being overserved, and um, maybe you've already bought something on the site, but you still see those ads, right? It's not. It's just not smart advertising, and it doesn't necessarily make you want to buy from that brand anymore. Right. So, um, and what's happened is that you know a lot of consumers put up ad blockers now, so. They don't see any ads, and that's a real lost opportunity for marketers. Okay. Um, and so Pebble Post was really created because we felt that advertising had become disrespectful to consumers. It's over-serving them. It's targeting them the wrong kinds of messages. Um, it's, you really feel harassed online and on your other devices. Um, on the flip side, for marketers, um, you know, you have to spend, <laughs> you have to, it's sort of like a spray and pray mentality. Yeah. So um, because it's so cheap to buy online advertising, they just do a ton of it, right? And so what happens is that efficiency of ad spend starts to trump effectiveness. And so the, the balance is way out of whack. So you can, you have to buy X million of number of impressions in order to get know a click Any response rate. at all right and the, the click-through rate for online advertising is like less than a percent okay That's terrible yeah so um marketers really needed a better way to connect with consumers um on their own terms and so our founder hell was steeped in digital and and understood re retargeting really well and really saw the promise of digital advertising, but knew that the delivery was really lacking. So okay. um, he also knew that direct mail, this may surprise you, has really high conversion rates. And okay. part of the reason is that everyone checks the mail, right? So viewability is not a problem, <laughs> which right. is a problem for digital. Um, and because everyone has a mailbox, ad fraud doesn't come into play because bots don't have mailboxes and they don't shop at ex officio, for example. Sure. So um, the combination of the two mediums really creates something very powerful. So we're taking the very best of digital advertising, which is the automation, the data-driven decisioning, the targeting, the creative testing, and then marrying that with the high-impact uh, delivery system of direct mail. So that's essentially what we've created. So, so I would end up getting direct mail from ex officio instead of getting spammed all over the place on electronic devices. Right. If 
you would receive one piece of mail that was personalized and customized okay. to you um, as a prospect or as an existing customer. And then what we've seen is that we have a 30-day attribution window. So basically, if um, you have 30 days to convert. And what we've seen is that if you think about the way you interact with the mail, you might not check it every day. And when you check it, you'll sort it. Maybe you'll put your wife's mail on one counter and your mail somewhere else. You naturally sort what's important to you versus the junk. Um, and maybe you look and, at and all the And all the catalogs that are like clickbait that I'm just going to look yes. at even though I don't need them. Okay. Exactly. <laughs> um, but you may not act on it right away. And that's the, yeah. that's the beauty of this system is that it really shifts. It lingers. It shifts the time into the consumer's control, right? So online, it's all about the marketer's emergency, like buy now, buy now, buy now, right? Yeah. You can't print out a banner ad to save for later, right? But with programmatic direct mail, you have a physical reminder to interact with that brand when it's right for you. And so that's really the, the beauty and the power of programmatic direct mail. Well, I think one thing that's really cool about it is that you've gone back to an older channel that at one time was totally flooded, mm -hmm. but isn't flooded anymore because everybody's advertising online, exactly. and now you can revitalize that channel and it's easier to get to people. Yes, exactly. That's very cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the explanation. That made it a lot more clear. Um, the article that you posted um, about a week or two ago was about how people in, in the marketing space need to to stop being so driven towards one focal point, like I am only this thing, I'm the expert in this thing, and need to have a more general view. Mm -hmm. Can you explain kind of what's going on there and how it's gotten to that point? Uh, well, I'll speak from my own experience. When I entered marketing 20-some years ago, I didn't have a focus, and I joined, uh, my first company was Forbes. And, um, you know, I was learning on the job. So I really had to put, I had to wear a lot of different hats and sort of chip in um, to help the team succeed um, as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do on my own. And okay. over the years, um, I specialized into copywriting and I found that in, in some places it really put me in a box and I wasn't allowed to, um, you know, weigh in on strategy or, attend certain meetings. And luckily later on, I had a boss who really acted as a mentor for me and exposed me to a lot of the different levers that you can pull in marketing. And that was at two different startups. And so it was again, like all hands on deck. And if you volunteered to figure something out, then it was yours to own. Yeah. And that's kind of the way I've learned about um, how to use all the different channels available to marketers and the people that I've hired and retained really have that spirit. Um, they're very curious. They, they want to learn something new all the time. They're not content just doing one thing. Um, so I found that those people tend to be the most successful and have this sort of team oriented point of view rather than well, this is my um, this is my space, and this is what I know how to do. And don't ask me to do anything else. Since you've gone, I mean, you started before. When you started with startup, is there is there like how do you know when you're out of that phase? Out of the startup phase? Yeah. Well, at my previous company, we um, 
IPO'd. So <laughs> okay, so that that obviously is an indicator. The reason I'm asking is because the the ones that I've been at, um, that that team sense that camaraderie is just kind of built into the culture because that's you you don't have like oh I can't say give it to that department because that department doesn't exist or it's just a guy and he's sick, right. so we all have to do whatever. Yeah, exactly. I mean that was very much the way it was when I first joined Apple Post last July. Um, it was just me, and I hired a freelance graphic designer who's now a creative director. And I hired her not only because she was a really amazing designer, but because she has all of these other skills um, okay. and really pitched in and helped me do a lot of the marketing that I wouldn't have been able to do if I had just hired a graphic designer. So she became like really half of the marketing team for me. Okay. To me, it seems like it's changed from when I first started, which was a little bit before, maybe a little bit before you did, that there were people that were marketing. And then with the kind of rise of the data-driven advertising online, that mm -hmm. that's when people got really specialized with like SEO and you have like the Google AdWords person. Because right. to be effective, you really did have to like do that thing. And it kind of evolved the same way that with development, like you have the Java guy and the guy that does this. Um but I, I know in the in the software space, that's also a bit of a weakness a lot of the time because, like you said, if you're the copywriter, that's all you do. Yep, exactly. Well, and that's all people think you do. Right. Uh, I mean, there are dangers to being a generalist too because it then it's like, oh, you're an expert in nothing. But um, I think if you want to work at a startup, you really have to be ambitious and hungry and, and curious. So, so that was one of the things I want. How do you tell the difference between the two? Because there are the generalists who can't really do anything, and there are the generalists who they've done so much different stuff. It's hard to figure out what their one thing is. Mm -hmm. How do you well, suss that out? Um, you know, I, I use referrals a lot. Um, I tap into people who I, you know, see promise in. So, for example, our current senior marketing manager was an account manager at my last job and I okay. um, brought her over into the marketing team because I knew that she understood the product inside and out. And I thought I can teach her how to write. Um, and she's interested and okay. she, because she has that base knowledge in the product and she's curious and asks good questions. Like I can train her in this other skill. And she became very successful. And when I joined Pebble Post, she was like one of the first people I thought of to bring onto the team. So she's doing a little bit of what she did at our former company, but she's also taken on our social channels. Okay. And she had no experience with it before, but I knew that she was smart. She was interested and she could write well. So she's really attacked it. It's been great. So when you when you're working with these people as somebody who's who's managing them or kind of overseeing them, are you um, is there like a requirement for them to invest time in developing different skills or cross functionality or anything like that, or is it just that you're finding people to bring on that are going to do that? I think it's a, a little bit of both. Um, I mean, I I have given. Her, her, for example, guidance in that direction. I said, like, explore, you know, paid tweets, for example, and, and come back to me with a strategy on when you think we might want to test them. So she did her research and okay. she came back to me with a strategy, and then we discussed when it would be appropriate. So, I mean, I gave her enough um, room to figure it out on her own, and then we talked about it. Okay. 
So if they don't have the cross functionality, or if you find like in, in development or in, in a lot of like an agile software project, there's a lot of places where everybody's got a specific thing that they do. And there's different tactics you can employ to try to get them into a state as a team where you don't have the, the fear that like if somebody wins a the lottery, they're never coming back and you're totally screwed. Mm -hmm. um, are there things that you do with the, the folks working there to try to help them develop that cross functionality? Uh, well, in our, we have a team meeting once a week and I'm pretty transparent with them about what I'm working on um, at the strategic level. And I'm always asking for ideas, always asking, I share my own ideas with them. I sort of test them out on them and I can tell like almost instantly whether it's a crappy idea or not. Um, <laughs> so how, wait, hey, hold on. You can't just <laughs> let that go. How do you know? I get a look. <laughs> okay. All right. So I, that's a real. I think that's a really big deal because a lot of people in the in the role that you're in, um, they they're scared to look stupid in front of the people that work for them. But if if your level of transparency transparency extends to the point where you're able to say like, "Hey, what do you think of this idea?" and everybody looks at you like, "Eh," then I mean that's that's wonderful. It creates. I would imagine it creates a pretty open environment where people feel safe to share any idea. Yeah, and I, I mean, we just released our mission statement two weeks ago, and it was very much a team project. So I was looking for ideas from everywhere. And I'd say like, you know, 40% of the ideas that we had for the launch came from the rest of the team. And I think that that helps improve engagement. And um, it definitely boosts attention. You know, team meetings tend to be pretty boring. But I also like the rest of the team to lead the team meeting. So we rotate the leadership. Of that meeting week to week and then that person defines the agenda for the week so um, i really believe in giving each of the team members the, the power to direct the conversation and okay. contribute to it and so then, for you as a manager what do you and this is going in a totally different direction than i thought but it's really interesting so what <laughs> for you as a manager to give up that power and let somebody else kind of step in and, and drive that um what what does that bring to you as a manager like what does it give to you relief <laughs> okay no it, i mean it's great it's i think those are the moments when you really see someone shine it's, um in whether they how seriously they take it um how prepared they are um how organized and and what their thought process is um, yeah it's really i think it's eye-opening it's like you hand the baton to someone else and it's like it's your show like run it yeah. What happens when they, when they fall on their face? Um, does it, does that, does that happen? I guess I should ask. I think I've only had like maybe one or two experiences. Um, and you know, it's just course correcting in real time, like giving okay. honest feedback that is, um, you know, cognizant of someone's feelings and I'll do it in front of everyone else. But, um, you know, I have very high expectations of, people who work with me. Yeah. I think I make that very clear <laughs> from the beginning. Like they have a lot of latitude, but I also have very high expectations for them and I expect okay. to deliver and they do, which is, I mean, I'm lucky. So you guys are in a state, you just got your second round of funding. Is that right? Mm -hmm. So I, and I don't, I'm just guessing, but are there times when you have people visiting or stopping by that are sort of more traditional stakeholders and things like that, or people that might be a little more old school? Does that ever happen? 
Can you give me an example? I don't yeah, I, where I'm going is I'm wondering what, because I've had stuff like this happen to me where I had, I had a pretty open approach with one set of people, one company I worked at, and it was similar to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And it was great because people would question stuff at any time, but then if some VP walked in or some senior C-level person walks in and sees like the coordinator challenging me and coming at me about something that I did mm-hmm. or some decision I made, which I think is great, it looks like I don't have control of things. And I'm wondering how you would explain to somebody who comes from a more traditional background, what the benefit of giving that control and that power up to somebody else is for the company. Well, I think it's, I guess if that, I don't, I don't have an example to share, but I think if it's all done in a respectful way, uh-huh. um, it's, it's never mean spirited. And if it was ever got to that point, I would, you know, stop the conversation immediately. It's, I think it's, it's in the spirit of everyone learning and growing and developing that I open it up to the whole team. I mean, cause it's an opportunity for me to learn as well. Like, yeah. you know, I'm, you know, 10 to 15 years older than some of the folks on my team. And I certainly don't know, <laughs> I'm not hip to everything that's going on. That so, the young kids are into these days. Yeah, exactly. So I feel like it's, <laughs> it's an opportunity for me to learn from them as much as for them to learn from me. Well, and it gives them a chance to be more invested in what's going on. Like you said, with the mission statement, if they all play a part in it, then they have more stake in it. And that I would think would make them feel more ownership and, and get more kind of involved and probably stay longer with the company. Yeah. I mean, that's the hope for sure. I mean, we released our mission statement two weeks ago. Like I'm testing people on it. Wow. That's, I think that's great. I mean, in, so you had some of your folks attend one of my classes. And one of the things that I say to everybody is when I go in and do an assessment, it's a vision statement that I ask about, not a mission statement, but I walk up to everybody. I'm like, you have to be able to tell me what this is. And if you can't, something's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, that's great that you're doing that. So what if, if you get somebody who doesn't have a broad range of skills, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're looking out for different opportunities. I'm trying to figure out how somebody would go about introducing this into an environment where everybody is very specialized. Do you have thoughts about how you might start to incorporate that cross-functionality into the system? Well, I think the, the opportunity has to exist, but I, I think part of it is the onus of the employee. Like, just pay attention to what's happening around you. Like, be inquisitive. Um, you know, ask to have a mentor in a different field or in a different department so you can learn about other things. I think a lot of the times, um, or at least at my last company, some of the things I, I would hear from the managers that I worked with, because I worked in a very sort of siloed team was that like, I don't, I don't even know what's out there to sort of learn. And so once they bubbled that up to me, I was like, okay, well, what are you interested in? Um, outside of work, like maybe we can find some synergies and then partner you with someone on a different team. And maybe you'll find that you like product marketing better than sales marketing, for example. Yeah. Um, but you know, a manager can't read, you know, their team's minds. Like it really starts with the, um, your team being very open with you about, um, what they're interested in and what they're not interested in. And by the same token, it requires a manager who's always asking, like, how are you doing? Like, how are things going? Like, where, where are you tripping up? Like, what else do you want to get your fingers 
in. Um, I mean, I think you kind of have to take the temperature of your team. You can't expect them to just, you know, be your best friend and then tell yeah. you what's going on. Well, do you think that there's a generational thing? Like, I'm wondering if maybe the when when you've got millennials working for Gen X people, that there's a different kind of interaction that took place when you had Gen X people working for the older generation, um, because it you know to to be totally stereotypical, the younger generation feels very empowered and very open to pursue whatever they want. Um, are they? Do you find that they're more willing to be upfront about that? Or is that just a stupid thing to say? Um, I think it really depends on the person. I mean, I've had um, millennials who worked for me who were not open at all, even when okay. you know I tried to sort of lead them with questions. They just didn't wasn't happening. expressing themselves. When yeah. Others that are on the opposite end of the spectrum who were like, oh, you're like <laughs> All too willing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think it really depends. I mean, it's the chemistry too. Like that's really important between a manager and a team. Like I think whether you like the person or not is sort of irrelevant. It's like, you know, can you extract from them their best work? Like can, yeah. ex- can you motivate them in such a way that they feel good about what they're contributing? So that's also really interesting. I'm thinking about the different ways that people motivate. I mean, what do you think is the key to motivating people in general? Uh, I think it's an investment in getting to know that person and sort of understanding how they think um, when they ask for help. Uh, I think those are really good indications of the type of person they are. I mean, I'm, I think it, you know... <laughs> The little things sort of are signs to me. Like if someone um, has shows up to a meeting chronically late, like to me that's just a sign of disrespect. Um, but it needs to be course corrected in real time, right? If someone organizes a meeting and then comes to the meeting with, with no clear agenda, like that tells me something else. Um, if someone's in it, because these are all about meetings. <laughs> that's okay. In a meeting and is, you know, IMing, emailing, and not paying attention, that tells me something else about, you know, and that's a hard one because I think a lot of um, millennials are not used to, they're used to multitasking, right? And so it's, right. it's unusual for them, and that's learned behavior too. So if, like for me, it's important that my team attends meetings and pays attention because it's, not only disrespectful to whoever has organized the meeting, but it's a waste of your time to sit there and I am or email or do. Yeah. So, but um, well, it's okay. I think, I think one of the things, the reason I was kind of pursuing it was that it's interesting that your approach to it is very much about learning about the people that are working for you before you start making decisions about this or that. Whereas a lot of people approach management still from that sort of control, like do this, this way kind of thing. Um, I think it's 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 neat to me that you, you're kind of taking that I want to get to know them first approach. And I'm also wondering how much of this is because it's a startup. Like when I asked you earlier, how do you know when it's not a startup? Part of me is thinking you probably know it's not a startup when the people you're hiring, that they don't tell you what they want to do anymore. You have to tell them to go figure it out because that mean you, means you've started to hire people that really don't have that level of investment and don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just bringing bodies in because you need bodies. 
Yeah, exactly. And like the worst thing you can do if you ever interview with me is show up and not know what the company does um, or not have researched me at all. Like, I mean, it's all about relationship building, right? It's like, it's like dating. You know, you don't go into something and start with me, me, me. I mean, that's the like first rule of marketing. It's yeah. Like, it's all about the other person. Like, what do they care about? What's important to them? What keeps them up at night? Like the same is true of interviewing. Um, and I think the same is true of managing as well. It's like you can yeah. tell someone is stressed out. Like, and you have to be very um, open with that person and figure out what's going on um, before it's, you know, before they start looking for an- another job, before they, um, their performance really starts to lag. And it's in the best interest of the whole team as well as the company. Yeah, to keep everybody around and stay invested in them. Mm-hmm. Um, so what about, I want to, can I ask you a question about Agile? Because I know you've had some people attend classes. Mm-hmm. Is that is that something that you see taking root in marketing at all? Is it Does it come up? Is it something that you guys employ? Um, so we don't use it in the marketing team. Our engineering and product team uses it, and I'm okay. really jealous. <laughs> so I think we're going to do a, a lunch and learn pretty soon. Um, so we can figure out how to incorporate some of those principles. Um, I love the, I'm probably going to get this wrong, Kanban board. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, I love Good that. Good job. Um, transparency <laughs> and the way that works. I mean, we actually do something similar in a Google sheet, which is okay. time consuming and um, not always up to date, but um you know, the more I hear about, I mean, the, the idea of a sprint is I would really have to think about how that applies to the marketing team, but there are definitely certain campaigns that we're working on that logic would make a lot of sense. Um, and I love the idea of stories. Like I'm learning more and more about the vernacular because our, um, director of product is very well versed. So it's, it's been very interesting. And I mean, I, I have hopes to at least learn a lot more about it. Um, and incorporate some of those theories into how the team works. Well, as you guys do, I would love to to check in with you again on it because it is something that's increasing. And I'm curious for people who work in companies that focus on this, how they're actually employing it. So, Yeah, that would be great. Cool. All right. Well, let's, thanks a lot for doing this. If people want to get in touch with you to find out more about the work that you're doing or if they just want to do all their prep work before they come in for the fearsome interview <laughs> with you, what's the best way for them to track you down? Um, well, I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn for sure. Um, okay. if you fill out the form on pebblepost.com, it comes to me. So that's one way to get to me. Cool. And you've got the article on Medium, which I'll include a link to as well. The Twitter, are you on the Twitter with the rest of the young people? I am on the Twitter. It's not a, <laughs> it's not an official company presence, but it, it's my personal account. It's at Stina Pessa. All right, cool. Well, thank you very much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's fun.